gents, beauties and hashtag Bimfluencers. Welcome to episode 90 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. It's a twice-weekly show delving into the worlds of uh, mostly politics, uh, but occasionally a bit of comedy and academia too, here and there, whatever takes my fancy. Um, Shout-outs to the Patreon backers, Kerry, Paul. Uh, you bring joy into my life. You bring sunshine on an otherwise cloudy, grey, dismal, dreary and hurricane day. Uh, my guest this week, um, you know, like a lot of the time when I go on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and stuff, uh, my feed is just awash with like political commentary and people ranting and stuff for obvious reasons, right? Because that's the kind of content that I put out. Um, but occasionally uh, the algorithms will serve me something that sits more in the sort of parenthood uh, arena. Um, and occasionally something within that arena will be something quite funny that will you know, catch my eye. And my guest tonight first came to uh, uh, into my sort of uh, periphery, if you like, um, a few months ago when I was scrolling through TikTok and up came this video of this young lady talking about how she had fallen out with some mums at the school gate. <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, I, I don't want to spoil it, so we'll get into that in a second. Please welcome my guest for tonight, uh, Lucy Lucraft. Woo! <laughs> That welcome. was such a nice welcome. <laughs> well, Thank you're very you. welcome. Uh, yeah, so l- let me elaborate on that a little bit, right? So, Lucy, I, I was flicking through. I got to this video of yours. Uh, you were saying something along the lines of that there was this a group of mums at the school gates and you had done a video about them beforehand and now they had all seen it. And this was really fucking awkward. And I tell you the thing that made me go like, yeah, I'm immediately following this, is that like, so for, for me, being the coward that I am, I probably would have gone, oh, fuck, they've seen it, right? I'll just delete my account or I'll, you know, I'll hide and shrink in the corner. But for you, like, I've always warmed to people who just kind of don't give a fuck and they just double down <laughs> and just really lean into it. And I love the fact that then you just made another video going like, oh, well, they've seen it. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> So what was, was so awkward? <laughs> what was the original video? Tell us. So they're all gone now. Mm. They're all gone. Um, despite the fact that it got like I don't know, like a hundred thousand views, which yeah. in my world, especially at the time when I was only getting about a hundred views yeah. each video, uh, was insane. Um, and and very unexpected. Even though everybody always says, "Oh, I didn't expect it to go so viral." Yeah. <laughs> You do always hope it will. Um, so the context was that I, some one particular mum, didn't like me. We've sorted it all out now, actually. Um, it very, which is why all the videos have gone. But also, very val- it kind of vindicated me because she had stopped talking to me for the reason that I thought she'd stopped talking to me for, right. which was super petty. Anyway. All under the water now. Water under the bridge. Under the water. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I... It was just awful. Every day I would go to the school gates and there would just be this kind of mum mafia. <laughs> and it felt... And, of course, now I can see that there was an element of that that was my real resting bitch face. Just... Am I allowed to swear, by the way? Oh, absolutely. I presume so. Yes. <laughs> My resting bitch face just setting the tone. Nobody probably wanted to speak to me because they were too scared. Um, but, yeah, it really – it was so difficult because my my eldest, who is the one that's at school, 
this is reception. So this is my first experience of school yeah. and it, it was brutal. So when I made the video, <laughs> I obviously didn't expect anybody to see it. And then I got a text <laughs> <laughs> of like, by the way, I've seen what you posted and actually you're wrong. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I like, I, like I like the sort of opening, like kind of a bit like, it's not hostile, is it? But it's a bit combative. It's like, yes, I've seen is. your video. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Oh, well. I mean, I like, I like, I, maybe I'm just a sucker for the drama. I don't know. But everybody also, is. I think it's sort of, it's to, like to have that sort of um, like hashtag relatable, like that sort of uh, vibe to, to the videos is quite rare it's quite but it's something that i think anyone when they start taking their kid to school and there is this sort of pressure to talk to the other parents at the school gate mm. and get on with them and hope that your kid might play with their kid and, and all that stuff so you i think naturally feel quite sensitive around that because you feel the pressure and you want your kid to be the popular one as well and mm. so i can see how it would breed misunderstandings and miscommunications and stuff and yeah, and it's so triggering, right? Because the last time I was at school was when I was at school. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't expect it to bring up so much stuff for me. And suddenly these adults that you're supposed to adult with yeah. are all very deeply in their inner child, which probably hasn't been worked through in therapy. Maybe it has, but for a lot of us, it probably hasn't enough. So it's really hard, the dynamics. Mm. Oh, and and it's all mixed up with parenting in general and the pressure to get it right and probably more to not get it wrong. Yeah. yeah. And for of... mums as well, uh, you know, we have that added layer of, oh. you know, misogyny and patriarchy just, like, really kicking us in the gut and internalised misogyny as well because we've all got that yeah do you think and i'm was... the only sorry go on i know i was just going to say do you think there was some of that at play then in that situation or yeah i think so i think that always is and i think the other thing probably more so at play was the fact that i'm not white and this is a very white area and it's a very white school mm. and it, it predominantly everyone in my daughter's class is white there's maybe a, a real handful of us that aren't um and you know it was very clear that you know we're different you can see that we're different even though you know I'm white passing and mm. born in England so some of the other parents who aren't white um English isn't their first language um but yeah so and that also that kind of triggering side of things for me School was a place where, I, you know, I experienced a lot of racism mm. and, and was the first time I experienced racism and in such a kind of intense way. Mm. And probably more, that's where I experienced the most co overt racism, I would say. Really? And yeah, where, where did sure, you go to yeah. school? In Kent. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Which says it all, really. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Herne Bay. Okay. Um which is very white yeah very white 
Interesting. Um, so it's yeah. So there's a lot of different sensitivities there, sort of overlapping, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. also, as I think you've alluded to a minute ago, uh, just the uh, like. I mean, even if we remove the racial element to it for a second, even just the per- like parental element to it, you feel so sensitive and primal mm. about your own child and making sure that your child feels safe and included that then anything that you perceive to be like a threat to that or disrespectful in that way is then it sort of has a knock-on effect to you and then that other parent might respond to that knock-on effect in a way where they think that you're being threatening or disrespectful to Mm -hmm. them so i can i can totally see how that stuff sort of uh uh kind of kicks off in that in that scenario i've i've been quite lucky at our um our school so i have two kids and uh my son's at school he's in the like year one now um like i've had i've had moments in like waiting at the school gates i remember in like the first year when he he was in reception and uh they hadn't opened the gate yet for us to go in so i saw i was just like in jeans and t-shirt and uh i thought well i'll just sit down like i don't know if i was hungover or something but i just thought like i'll just sit down like on the floor like back against the gate like waiting for them to open the gate to go in a grown man sitting on the pavement like with his you know four-year-old there (laughs) but i didn't think anything of it lucy i just thought like yeah well they haven't opened it yet you know my legs are quite tired i'll just sit down just for a second i think it was a nice day like going back thinking back on it um but then i remember like these two mums sort of got nearer and nearer to the gate and just the look, the look, the look of judgment that I was sitting on the pavement, it was like kind of ugh, like, and it did something to me. Like it made me feel really like self-conscious so much so that I came back home to, to my girlfriend, also called Lucy. And uh, I said, yeah, I got a funny look from one of the mums earlier. And she was like, well, what, what were you doing? And I was like, I was just sat on the pavement, like waiting for them to open the gate. And she's like, yeah, well, you probably look like a reprobate. You probably look like you know some homeless guy just hanging up I was like really but you know what that's so funny because when you said I was sat down and you know and I was I was like yeah that that's literally what I do too mm. just sit, I, I do that all the time but then is it's that like, weird are we weird well, I would argue no I would argue no <laughs> weirdness is in the eye of the beholder I guess Agreed. Uh, but but also it's sort of like to go back to what you were talking about a second ago it, it's the sort of it's the like I might perceive that look that she gave me as mm. uh, as sort of judgy, um, but it could be entirely rooted in the fact that I that was the first day I was taking my son into a new school, and so popularity and acceptance and inclusion, all of these things are floating around my head, worrying about my firstborn starting at school and being alone for hours on end without me there mm-hmm. to to protect him and so the first sort of mascot of not being included or being disrespected uh is this lady there just giving me a, a slightly off color look for a second <laughs> so then it's it, the manifest like all of those feelings come up right yeah of course you're so vulnerable i think i think when you have children it unlocks a layer of vulnerable vulnerability i i did not expect like also a sort of I don't give a fuck about certain things anymore. And mm. I feel really brave, way more brave than I would have done had I not had kids. Mm. No, I shouldn't say that. For me, mm. than before I had kids. Um, but the the level of vulnerability yeah. is like nothing I've 
ever imagined because you're so aware of your mortality. Yeah, it makes that, you infinitely yeah. more sensitive for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's funny, like in like when you and I were talking about uh, doing this show, I was quite keen for us to talk about like expectations versus versus reality of parenthood because that's a big thing, I think. For, for me certainly is is so in the run-up to being a dad even like in the years before being a dad i sort of had come to believe that it was x right and then mm -hmm. once you become a parent it's actually y right like it, so it's this build-up this sort of hollywood representation of what your life will be like as a parent and then actually on the other side of it when you are a parent it's a lot different it's sort of um like uh i, I guess the most obvious example would be in the movies or tv shows they always make it look like uh the the mum or the dad has a child and then they just get it like they just change as a human being like overnight they they realize what life is really about and then it they sort their shit out and they do x y and z uh, but in my experience it wasn't really like that it was like it, i mean it has absolutely changed me it's made me completely reprioritize what's important in life it's made me i think love more and harder um but equally, like it's made me, it, like it's made me achieve more and work harder at work. But mm. it's not like those things happened like in a flash. As soon as I was a dad, they're all like rooted and fueled by other things. It's like, like when I became a father, I was like, oh shit, I need to sort my shit out because we're gonna need to buy a house, and if I don't sort the credit card bills out, and you know, so it's like it became like a domino rally of me sorting stuff out rather than it being this baptism of fire um situation what what was it like for you yeah i mean i never really wanted to have children mm. um until i met my husband it was one of those things where i didn't want children and suddenly i when i met him i was like no i want your children really <laughs> yeah nice. yeah um so we i can't i had a lot of expectations about the type of mother I'd be mostly and I ha I don't think my mum will be watching but mostly how much I didn't want to be like my own mother I wanted a different childhood for my children right than the one that I had so because of that that I I went into it feeling pr like pretty black and white around the things that I did or didn't want for my child. And that's always just a great way to be, isn't it? Yeah. It's good to start with like <laughs> yeah. defined no right and wrong. So this is what I'm not going to do, mum. <laughs> and also, I mean, and then you have a baby and realise that, like you say, there's so many other things that kind of going on in life that mm. you would never have expected. And also your child is a fully formed person that you can't control and you can't shape because you've decided that's what you want to do. Yeah. And that's the way you want to be. And that's the way you want them to be. But the thing, and I found, I, I genuinely found it quite easy and I fell into it quite naturally. My husband found it a bit more difficult. Um, what I really struggled with was going from one to two. That for me yeah. was an absolute shit show. Wait, you mean age one to two or having one no. child up to two children? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, and why was that then? Um, Just like juggling them both. Yeah, I think there was a combination of, you know, really random things that you would never expect to happen, like a pandemic. And (laughs) so my... My littlest, Edie, she was five months when we went into the pandemic. And up until that point, I'd been pretty much solo parenting because my husband was still in that pre-pandemic life of there's no flexibility. You you are in the office. For him, it was six days a week. Um, Really long hours. And then the pandemic happened and then there was some my sister died like a month into the pandemic. Mm. So then there was that on top of it. But my husband was furloughed. So for me, the start of the pandemic was actually like horrendous, but also brilliant. Yeah. It was just a total head fuck. Um, And then his job changed and things got a lot better for us kind of because of the pandemic, which also kind of then adds on a layer of guilt. Yeah. Um, so it was just, yeah, juggling two kids, horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Two little beings, one, I thought, I, I came to parenthood very naturally. I found it very easy. And that is because I had a really easy, easy child. Yeah. And I thought I was just, I thought I was great. <laughs> I was so smart. <laughs> Why? I, I remember speaking to friends at like baby groups or whatever when my eldest was about, you know, four months old. She was a piece of piss. She was so easy. I took her everywhere. She slept when I needed her to. Yeah. She slept through the night really early. And um, and I obviously wouldn't tell people this, but also when they would say about their kids, I was like, God, but you know, people are so dramatic. Why are they finding it so hard? It's actually a lot easier. I'm just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously didn't say this to anyone. No, no. Probably my husband. Yeah. Um, and then my my second was born and she was insane. She came out screaming and I'm not even joking. She screamed for two hours really? when she was born. Yeah. Like <laughs> I had a C-section and um, the anaesthetists and like all of the, the team were like making jokes about <laughs> how much she was crying. And I was yeah. like, ah, this is fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like an anaesthetist probably going like, oh, maybe we just jack her up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, she's giving us all tinnitus. <laughs> yeah. And that it's, continued for about a year. <laughs> it's such a giant thing though, isn't it? Is getting people to understand that each child is different. And even like saying that sounds so simplistic, but it honestly, it needs to be hammered home to so many people. Like I have friends, intelligent friends who have no concept that their friend who has a child their situation is entirely different to my situation Mm. like i'll be like do they have childcare? do they have childcare on tap have they got two grandparents that fight each other over who gets to have the kids that weekend do they have dual income do they both have money coming in Mm. so they can afford a shit ton of private childcare? do they are their children well behaved do they sleep through the night like there's so many variables and plates to spin it drives me up the fucking wall when people are like, well, how can we never see you? Because, like, you know, like, we see Bill, and Bill's got three kids, and he's always <laughs> out. So, but we never see you. I think you just don't want to see us. I think... And it's just like, oh, you... 
It's like the rage that I feel when people say stuff like that is, I imagine, not too far from the rage that mums have felt for centuries <laughs> when they're overworked, stressed, and then, you know, the husband comes in, like, in the, let's say in, in the 1950s, and the poor mum is exhausted, looking after two screaming kids all day, knackered, and then the husband comes in, and he's just like... Where's my dinner? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it's, there's something, there's, a, you know, I feel that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you say, let's say 1950s, sh- shall we just say in the 2020s? Because that, for sure, I mean, what, what era are we in now? What would you call just the? It's not the noughties, because the noughties. I guess with, yeah, 2020s. 2020s, we'll call it that. Post-pandemic era. Um, yeah. I have friends whose husband's, do exactly that. Yeah. And I, they wouldn't be considered misogynists. I think it depends. I mean, they are. It, but it depends on the dynamic of the relationship. Like, I would, I'd probably hold back on being too judgmental because I know some women who are actually super, super happy in that kind of relationship. They just want to be a stay-at-home mum, look after the kids. The husband comes home at like 7 o'clock at night after Mm -hmm. a few late meetings and banging his mistress, probably, and uh, he comes in, and that's that's enough for them. Like, they like being the the mum, the homemaker, I guess, and the wife, uh, and that's, you know, that's, like, fine. Like, if that's... What you well, I think do. that's a really interesting point because I I have a real internal battle of so I love being a mum. Mm-hmm. I would like to work less. I would love to homeschool. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have them around more. I'd love to have more children, and I love keeping the house nice. I like playing that role. But do I love it, or have I just accepted that life is a lot easier if I do it? Right. And because of all, you know, I, I've, I, along with every other woman on the planet, has been trained through, like, subconsciously and very consciously, that we need to fit into a certain role. And also that we should, there's so many shoulds. And I'm not saying this on a granular individual level, because every woman, every experience, every Every person has a different set of experiences. Every lived experience is different. But I don't think, I think it's really hard to pick apart how much misogyny and patriarchy that we've, and toxic masculinity that we've all internalized. Even the most feminist person who thinks that they're making their decisions on a kind of higher plane of consciousness will have all these layers Mm. that are like so deep down that are affecting those decisions i mean does that even make sense i don't know no no i i understand (laughs) where you're getting (laughs) yeah i understand where you're coming from it's it's sort of like to what extent are these sort of societal uh pressures and influences pushing us to accept that for example, that you should clean the house more or that you should feel joy at just like being the homemaker kind of figure. Mm-hmm. Like, is that society teaching you that that's how how you should get a release of endorphins? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. But then like, so I, I think society doesn't help. I think this is where I'd position myself very carefully. I think society doesn't help and it does 
play to and accelerate and um and exaggerate and amplify those tones mm -hmm. uh but also i do think there's like i'd be lying if i said that i believed that like a baby boy and a baby girl are born with the same brain and then we condition them into behaving in those ways i think there is something innate in women that makes them fly off the handle if the man is too messy for example like and i know a lot of boyfriends and husbands out there who are messy and get and get yelled at by their girlfriends and wives and stuff and it's just kind of i don't believe that all of these men out there who are kind of messy and a bit you know that would absolutely live in their own filth if they were if their wives left them I don't believe that they're all just raised wrong. I think there's just something about men where we're, we're kind of disgusting. We're not as hygienic. We're just, you know, and, and then women conversely, because uh, we've evolved uh, in a situation where women are caregivers, life givers, uh, and because there's such a vested interest in looking after a vulnerable human baby, then it kind of makes sense that you would have these impulses to to keep everything around you clean and tidy and the most hygienic that you possibly can. So that, to me, that makes more sense than everyone's just conditioned by society. But I don't think society helps. I think society makes it infinitely worse. I need to tell you about my friend. Um, she's Sunshine Mag on TikTok. You should look at you should look at her stuff. I think it would. Sure. Uh, yeah. I think you find it interesting. She's amazing. Um, she's blown my mind in so many different ways. Mm. How, for example, girls clothes are, are made. They just are made smaller and tighter mm. from children. So like a child's clothes, age three girl, age three boy will just be made to fit a stereotype of what a woman should be, what a female should be versus what a man. Girls have, um, like, caring animals on their clothes. Boys yeah. have predatory animals on theirs. Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, I often look at my, my two who love pink and they love playing with Barbies and they love playing with babies, and I think, well, I, I didn't encourage them. Yeah. That just happened. But my influence only goes so far and they've been seeing on you know netflix even cbb's everything yeah since birth all these little messages and in their clothes which i wouldn't necessarily have picked up on and thought this is damaging you mm. know um so i don't know i don't I, I don't know that men are disgusting or unhygienic. <laughs> maybe, I'm, or if it's... maybe I'm just sort of... Uh, you know, maybe you're disgusting. And yeah, I'm, I'm normalising my level of disgusting <laughs> messiness. So, you know, um, own it, own it. Have yeah. no shame. <laughs> oh, if, if my Lucy was here, like, in the cabin with me, she'd be like, yes, he is fucking gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk a bit about podcasting as well, because um, that was another thing that... that drew me to your profile uh so you do like podcast production kind of stuff mm -hmm. you help people get their podcasts up and running which is kind of interesting to me because i suppose like a lot of people i still look at podcasting as quite a new sort of revolutionary thing where you know traditionally it was you know to have to have a show to have 
something that you would broadcast to people you would have to go and what like intern in a local radio for two years and then they might give you a shot of reading like a news story in the middle of a bulletin and all of that and maybe after seven years or ten years of slogging it you might finally get your own show and now we're in a situation where anyone can create a show about anything and it's so grown or such a mature industry that now we have presumably people like yourself who are kind of are you like a kind of consultant that helps people get up and running like how do you what on earth do you do Lucy (laughs) (laughs) so my background is journalism okay so the way that I and and concurrently to that I started my own podcast about six years ago and taught myself everything really loved the audio side of things I particularly loved the techie side of things Mm -hmm. so did some audio engineering training that sort of thing and then married the two together Um, because typically what I do in podcast production and what a podcast producer does is I do a lot more than what a standard podcast producer would do because I do the audio engineering, the mastering, all of those sorts of things. Um, but a podcast producer tends to, um, help a client with their show creatively. Mm Um, they're kind of like a director, Um, and so I, I don't really consult. I mean, I do do a bit of one-to-one consulting for people who want to start a podcast, but I I tend to, and honestly, that is who tends to come to me, um, for, yeah, for advice is people who want to start a podcast. Um, but then the bread and butter of my business is just managing, producing other people's podcasts, people who typically small business owners who know they want to start a podcast have absolutely no time to do it, but they've got the budget to outsource okay. everything they don't want to do. So all they will do is record and then I do the rest of it. Because yeah. as you know, as a podcaster, it's a beast. There are so many moving parts to podcasting, especially if you're wanting to grow. Yeah. I mean, that's where TikTok's come in really well for me because uh, it's such, like, I don't know what fucking magic they do in the code of tiktok but the algorithm for it is so so superior Mm. to youtube and twitter and facebook it's like i i put a video up there bashing the royals or like mocking something to do with the royal family like last year and it just like caught fire and i don't think i'm a particularly like certainly no more interesting than the other thousand or ten thousand people that do videos talking about you know whatever but for some reason it's like you can you can actually build a following on TikTok, mm. and so then if you can transfer that across to your podcast, like that's kind of worked all right for me. Um, Not a lot of people are using it, like especially in the UK. Really? You're one of yeah, yeah. And given that I, you would expect me to be seeing a lot of podcast content, mm. um, and I search for it as well. I I don't see a lot of people using TikTok to promote their podcast it's in the way nothing. and. Yeah, because it's it's yeah so easy. It's well, it's super easy, uh, and it's like, isn't it like the fastest growing social network now? Mm. Uh, so it's like, so when I had Super Tansky on the other week, she I can't remember if it was on the show or if it was afterwards, but uh, she was saying like the Labour Party don't have a TikTok account, 
And I was like, well, that's fucking batshit because, mm. you know, they're supposed to be like a, like young. If you want to get young people engaged in politics and get them to vote and then you need to speak to them through the mediums that they use every day. Um, and to be fair, I think a lot of their MPs are on like Instagram and stuff. But like like these kids today are all on like Snapchat and and TikTok, aren't they? So you've yeah. got to go where they're going to be. I mean, Boris is here now. Come on. Yeah. The Labour Party. But can you imagine Keir Starmer on? Well, it's always like whoever it is, it's always it's a bit cringy. Yeah, yeah. But I'd, ra- I'd rather the Labour Party be there. But they'd kind of be preaching to the choir, I think. I mean, I know that I think the thing with TikTok that I find really fascinating is that it, it really does serve you. It really does say for you. Mm. And you can quite easily forget that there's actually a really dark side like with every social media because unlike instagram or certainly facebook but any other form of social media you just can remain in an echo chamber in it for me that's a that's a good thing i'm i'm cool with that Mm. you can really not see anything outside of it unless you know someone stitches it yeah, and then it pops up, and you're like, oh "My God, I haven't seen that anywhere." Like the Utah mom top, the yeah. swinging. Did uh, the only reason I heard about it was because people were stitching videos or talking about it. Um, I didn't even know what a Utah mum was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I suppose that's the like the 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 magic of their their algorithm is like because it's. The the thing the the key thing that's different is yeah like if you're on Instagram you're like you'll follow people right and if you're on mm. Twitter you'll follow people and on Facebook you're friends with people and then your feed and on all of these things all your timeline on Twitter will be populated by content that's been generated by those people that you've deliberately gone to follow but yeah. on TikTok it's like we're gonna give you a for you feed and there's gonna be stuff in there from people that you follow but there's also gonna be lots of other stuff that we in our magic we've decided that you might be interested in and then based on like the length of time that you engage with that video we will then give that a score and that will decide whether you see more of that shit in the future and like it's quite clever i wonder if like facebook and that lot will um or or try to ape it because they always seem to like facebook are notorious for stealing ideas right i mean they already are aren't they because look at how instagram has had to completely shift things shift its entire business model to compete with TikTok, when really TikTok's competitor is YouTube. Yeah. In many, like, because it's going towards long form video. Yeah. I think, so, yeah. Can you upload it? I feel like you can upload a 10 minute a video. A 10 minute video. Yeah, you can. Yeah. It doesn't like show you that option, but everybody can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I usually try and stick to three minutes. I f- feel like three minutes of me talking. Long, isn't it? Is, yeah. <laughs> It's like if you can't get your point out, especially doing the sort of stuff that I do, like it's like three minutes is a perfect amount of time, really, to have a good rant about whatever's in the news and then do a little impression of a Tory and then, you know, and then try and (laughs) try and shut it down with a like closing light. That's the perfect amount of time, I think. Um, Are your box pop ones, are they three Mm. minutes? No, a minute because okay. i love then... i love them so much they're so funny they're so Thank accurate <laughs> yeah well i was on twitter the other day and i was like it's become clear to me now that in order to see vox pops with people presenting the point of view that i actually recognize then i'm not going to get that from like the bbc or <laughs> so i'm just going to pretend to be the guy that, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and and I was like, call it fake news if you like, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, here's here's a question for you then, as a as a podcast uh, producer or podcasting professional. Um, have you ever had somebody approach you and go? I, I I've been thinking about starting a podcast, and uh, you know I'm, I think it'll be really interesting. And and here's here's my idea. Right, I'm going to pitch it to you, Lucy. Here it is. And they're telling you it, and you're being professional, right? You're nodding along, but in in your head, your internal monologue is going like, "Don't start a pod. You're so fucking boring. No one's going to listen to your podcast." Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have, and um. <laughs> that situation didn't work out very well because I helped it was it was two people right best friends yeah and influencers and I've got nothing against influencers at all I'm not bashing them but just to set the scene influencers and they were like (sighs) they came to me and they said the thing is we just realized that we had so many conversations that were so interesting that we just why don't we make it a podcast? And I was like, mm-hmm. already thinking, I already know that this is going to be the most navel gazing drivel ever. And then <laughs> I helped them launch it. And, you know, the good thing about it was that they were very <sighs> entitled enough that they were like, you know what? This is going to be a big hit. So let's just let our podcast producer edit the fuck out of it yeah. and we're going to listen to all of her advice but yeah it 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 was dribble <laughs> it was <Yeah>. terrible <laughs> but you know what it had an audience and but then was it was it successful did it find its audience was it i did not continue working on it i just helped them launch so i don't know and i think you know what success successful is is such a like how long is a piece of string because successful could just be I've got something out there that and I get to chat to my best friend every week Mm. like I think yeah I mean that's that's a a big thing isn't it it's like what sort of what kind of target are you actually setting for yourself here by starting this like if it's a small business like you were saying earlier if it's just to generate a bit of PR like the hundred people or a thousand people that download the podcast now know know who like ABC Electrical is. Yeah. Then great. Uh, maybe they'll tell some friends or you know. Um, but if it's like I want to be the next Joe Rogan, it's just like oh, what would they? Hang on a second. <laughs> Low down. Um, Somebody in the pub asked me the other day. Um, Oh, what do you do? I said, uh, podcast producer. Oh, well, I've heard of any of the podcasts you produce. I'm always like, no. And they're like, Joe Rogan. No, obviously not. If I <laughs> produce Joe Rogan's podcast, why would I be in this pub with you, yeah. talking to you? I would. I, yeah. Of course I wouldn't. I would Were you be in a mansion polite? somewhere. <laughs> no. With... Yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> I just was like, lol. It's, just, it's the sort of thing where you just... All it deserves is just like a like a ninety degree turn. Look at them, <laughs> and just stare, just silence. Like, uh huh. <laughs> Who's Joe Rogan? I've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, Joe who? What? Yeah. I tell you, right? I've I've got a bit of a bugbear, and I'm not I'm not picking on you, Lucy. But here's here's my bugbear, right? 
is that when podcasts first started, it felt a bit sort of punk rock. Felt like it was all like independently produced. Yeah. It was like two mates with a dictaphone or I don't know, recording stuff into a into into their laptop microphone or something. Like back in back in the early days when it was I'm trying to think of like who was I guess Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant did one of the first Chris they? Moyles was probably the first. Is and it? then yeah, and then Ricky Gervais and Carl and Stephen. And so so back then it felt like yeah, it was a bit punk rock, bit in, bit independent. Now it feels like like the the corporations have kind of swallowed it and now, you know, the mm-hmm. BBC are like it, when, when I tune into a show on LBC, it'll be like, oh, don't forget to check out the latest mm. podcast from blah. And I always want to like turn around and snap at them and be like, why are you calling it a podcast? Like you're in a fucking radio studio. It's a radio show. <laughs> yeah. Like just say it's on like on demand. You can listen to it on demand. It's not a fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, Although you say that, but sorry, no, go on. No, I was just going to say like, it was, it, it's a bit like, when you walk into Smith's, right, and you go down to the, I don't know if there's still a DVD section there, but, like, you go down to the, the film section or the music section and it will say, like, trending. And it's like, it's not fucking trending. Like, this isn't Twitter. <laughs> That's just, just say yeah. the chart. Say it's popular. Stop trying to make everything, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. I feel like podcasts are like that, where... Like the the big corporates need to kind of and I'll tell you another example, right? eBay. eBay started off, it was like you, me selling a TV, you could pick up a secondhand one, great, you know, maybe you've got an old painting. I've been looking for it for fifteen years. Oh my god, this girl over here's got one for se- right, I'll buy that secondhand bargain, everybody's happy. It gives the gives regular people a chance to get into the consumer space and commercial space. <clears throat> and then what happens is like now it's you go on eBay and it's like you can find this in the Argos shop on eBay. Oh, and I'm yeah, like, I know. Like every time there's a little independent thing, whether it's podcasts or eBay or, you know, it, it's like you've got a capitalism. Yeah. That's like, capitalism. Just comes along and fucks it. Of course. Yeah. That's capitalism. If you can monetize it, we're going to, we're going to like squeeze every penny out of it. I, but the, I feel the same as you about podcasting, right? Yeah. Completely. And it really annoys me, really annoys me, particularly a few years ago, four or five years ago, publishers really clocked on to the power of podcasting and how incredibly effective they are Mm. um, at uh, driving sales. Um, They've got like the highest engagement stats of any kind of form of content creation. Right. Um. And so then every single author, big author, when they had a book, there was an accompanying accompanying podcast that went with it. And that used to really dick me off because then, <laughs> oh, I was like, you know dick what? You <laughs> I've never, never heard that before. I don't know why. Really? It seems like an obvious expression. But yeah, carry on. Sorry. Um, because, you know, I was there just working my little butt off with my recording into my phone with my little lapel mics and and paying money for a podcast host and working it all out myself editing it all and then you'd hear 
whoever, Dolly Alderton, be like, apologies for the audio this week. Oh, fuck off. Like, <laughs> you should apologize for the audio because someone is paying for a studio space for you. Yeah. So that really did piss me off because then they took over the charts and it was like the gentrification of yeah really that's so i agree with you that's a the the you like you've articulated it infinitely better than i did it is a gentrification uh and i feel like in the in the podcast charts it should they should split it right it should be like if it's a commercially produced show by a media conglomerate i feel like just get the fuck out of it like this isn't for you fuck off yes and you know there's certain uh one of my clients was talking about um submitting her podcast to certain podcast awards and I was like yeah that's a really great idea but I know that there are quite a few of them where you have to pay to submit yeah and it no it doesn't say that anywhere so how on earth is that yeah you know even the listener's choice yeah the listener's choice of the five people or however many people who could afford to submit their podcast if they can afford to submit their podcast they probably can afford to outsource their editing and all the rest of it so it just, yeah, it doesn't, Yeah, that's kind of the same with every industry, but it, it does piss me off. <laughs> you, you're you right that it's, so I, I was approached about submitting to a podcast awards thing and I saw like the entry, uh, the entry charge, like, I can't remember how they styled it now. I remember like, it didn't say like, you have to pay a hundred pounds <laughs> to enter this. It was something like a hundred. Cleaning fee. <laughs> yeah, like table reservation and blah, oh, blah, sure, blah. Yeah. Fit, yeah. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, this is a load of fucking balls. I'm not doing that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I bailed on it. But like the, but you, you're right that it is like other industries as well, because I remember when I worked in recruitment, there was like the recruitment awards. And uh, one of the agencies was like, yeah, you know, we have to pay £2,000 for the table there. Yes. But then, you know, it's great for marketing because we always get an award. And then, you know, that goes in the cabinet at the office and people like it and it's a big PR thing. And I was just like, sounds like a fucking, like, sounds like a scam to me. A pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> pay us two grand. We'll give you like a, a, a £50, like, statuette thing. Tell your friends, get them involved, get them to buy a table. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah oh well never mind i'm just bitter really like i I just don't have a hundred i haven't got a hundred quid to just toss at something like that maybe i should do i'm bitter too because i was new and noteworthy when i released my podcast it was on the apple homepage. i was new and noteworthy not in my subsection my chart on the homepage. And that was a really big deal. But for people to do it now, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter anyway. It's obviously lost its meaning in many ways. But um, for people to do it now, it's kind of impossible because Acast are like bezies with Apple Podcasts anyway. So their people are going to always get in there first. Yeah. Ugh. I'm yeah. bitter too. <laughs> I feel like you could do it, right? It, you could, like, it's within your grasp still to run a podcast. And if you, if you, let's say you bought like 5,000 flyers and you fly it all around the underground in London, I think you, it would be like flyering for a comedy night. Like most of them would go in the bin, but you would get like a, a subset of people who would look at mm-hmm. it and go like, oh, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. Like, and then a percentage of those people who did check it out would carry on and subscribe. So if it's a numbers game, right? Like if you continued throwing enough money at it, eventually you would end up uh in like on the chart beating 
the the uh, like the corporates and stuff. But it's easier than that to get in the charts. Is it? Yeah. So how so? Do tell. Well, so I don't know this for a fact, but from experimentation, I'm pretty sure I sort of know what goes into the the Apple Podcast algorithm. So they do store turn day on Thursday. So like it it all changes on a Thursday, um, and. If you release your podcast on a Wednesday, for example, and ask everyone to give you a rating and a review, that will bump you up the charts. That's what I've noticed happen. I know that ratings and reviews are really important. Yeah. I think more so than subscribes, but maybe maybe that's not the case. But I know plenty of people who jumped up the charts. Having said that it's kind of a vanity metric because I don't think that turns into long-term listeners necessarily or money in your pocket. So, And that's a big thing, right? Like, so my perception of the American podcast market is perhaps that it's that America versus the UK is kind of not dissimilar to like the recording industry back in like the eighties and nineties versus the UK. So American pop stars would make, fucking bank like people like michael jackson madonna uh like british stars who had moved overseas like phil collins or david bowie like these people would sell you know they like what thriller was like 30 million i think around that time eventually got to 40 million copies and jacko ended up with like you know hundreds of millions of dollars and then Mm. in the uk you could get like a number one record and you'd get like a hundred thousand pounds or like five hundred thousand pounds like it's just a completely different market and i think in a very similar way now again my perception perhaps you can correct me uh is that if you're a podcaster in la on the la comedy circuit uh or new york or something you can start a podcast and throughout the us you'll you like because it's a big market you'll get such a good following that you could actually Mm. live quite comfortably off just podcast advertising revenue Whereas I think over here, it's like, you know, like, is what's the highest earnings that you could expect for running a podcast in the UK, do you think? What, through advertising? Because yeah. I think, I agree with you on America versus the UK, and I think America are much further along with podcasting. Mm. They were much more of an early adopter. So even though the, one of the first podcasts I listened to was the Chris Moyles podcast, which was obviously radio, BBC, mm-hmm. um, I think... Yeah, America was much further. It is much further ahead. It, but in terms of, and then you got to think, America is just massive. It's bigger, so they've they've got more people. Yeah, that's, but then it, right, so here's a wild thing, right? They have got more people, but back in the day, like just to go back to the recording industry, uh, or the music industry metaphor, if you like. Uh, you like bands would tour around like you know iowa and connecticut and all these places and so the kids would go out to see these shows and then buy the records but that doesn't happen with podcasting there's no real reason why a podcast in manchester in the uk couldn't become massive in like yeah that's true but yeah it does seem to play a really like i thought maybe it's a promo thing Well, I think there's also the fact that um, until a couple of years ago, um, Google Podcasts only existed in America. 
it didn't exist in the UK. So you had to get a VPN to submit your podcast. You just couldn't. Oh. So there is that. And also, I'm pretty sure, yeah, Apple Podcasts, in fact, it definitely does. It has the UK and the US version. So they're two different versions. So if you found your podcast on Apple Podcast US, you would have different ratings and reviews and stuff oh. that you'd never seen really? in the UK. Yeah. So I think there is that element. And then there's things like, well, all podcatchers, Stitcher, all of those th- sorts of things, iHeartRadio, all of those. And they're all American. So I don't know. That's I, I mean, I, I could just be talking out my ass really, but that's my gut. But I think in terms of money, I, I'm there are so many different ways that you can monetize using a podcast. Yeah. And it, I think people think automatically of advertising. I mean, yeah, of course you could get advertising but that's such a narrow way to look at it there's so many other ways Mm. like myriad different ways i i decided a while back i was like i can't imagine myself ever selling advertising so i thought well i'll go the patreon route because (coughs) if you can can build a community like around a recurring podcast you've got uh like catchphrases and you know little in jokes like that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. like that I can see how a Patreon community might build around that. Um, uh, but then you could also, I, I mean, I'm guessing here, uh, you could probably generate a fairly steady income from shameless merch, right? Yeah, you, yeah, of course. Shameless, but you could be just, yeah, using it as another way to plug kind of affiliates and all the rest of it. You could do that, but also... You've touched on something that is exactly what I always say to my clients is what you should be focusing on if you want to make money from podcasting, which is community. Mm. So if you're building community and connection through your podcast and including them, you're going to know what they want from you. And from, for me, if I was to start a podcast now, um, it would all be it would be completely about podcast production it would be you know it would be for people who want to start a podcast or for podcasters who want to level up or for people who want it kind of industry insight and they're probably going to want to come to me and pay for my services yeah it, it's exactly the same as any other form of free marketing like social you know instagram tiktok whatever but but <laughs> if you weren't to run a podcast about podcasting what would your other subject be Gun to head, you've got to start a podcast about something. Oh, it would be about motherhood, I think. Really? Yeah. Yes. So I, my podcast is about, it's called What She Said. I barely I barely record anything for it anymore. Um, but yeah, motherhood is the thing that interests me so much. Yeah. 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 I think so that's what it would be. I, I could see that. I mean, like I have to check out what she said because I've I've not come across it yet. But uh, I'll I'll grab a couple of episodes, as should everybody else that's listening and watching. This. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, there's I a big see, old back catalogue. <laughs> I think I think there's a real sort of gap in the market for like, I mean, like so when I was tweeting and and sort of doing the the uh, the promo for for this show earlier, I was sort of billing you as a like a parenting realist because of you know your your videos before about the school gate stuff and. Uh, and then the the image uh, like screenshot that I did earlier, where you of your TikTok, where you were saying like you know that look I give when both my kids are screaming, and and I, I think it's like like sometimes dads 
sometimes there's some dad content out there where we you know we're quite cynical and a bit sarcastic about parenthood but i think maybe maybe there's a gap in the market for you know that um fuck me what's that what's that bbc2 uh sitcom with diane morgan in it motherland motherland great yes. great oh, fucking so sitcom. good yeah amazing yeah. uh and uh and that sort of like it would fit into that sort of um category of like you know sarcastic not taking yourself too seriously um showing people what it's actually like like and how funny mm. it can be but that in a sort of podcast um packaging would be i think really engaging for a lot of people there are so many parenting podcasts but are right but are they parent are they sort of like you know yeah. and, and this is what i do with my kid and i love my kid and these na- oh, are they are they quite brutal well, are they quite real of, or? yeah have you heard of scummy mummies they've had they've had a very successful podcast i used to gig with the lady yeah, well yes yeah yeah yes this is fascinating because they've gone through so much from having little babies to getting divorced and losing lots of weight um mm. running marathons but they they have big name guests now they're huge they're yeah. like the number one podcast in parenting podcast yeah in the uk for a long time but then is it just them or is there other ones like that too yeah there's loads is i mean it? i they're yeah there's like it's quite saturated but i do think there's always <laughs> feel, space for more people i feel like such a bell end now i'm like i think there's a real gap in the market <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, no, it's fucking played out. Yeah, Chill out. Yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, fine, I'll take that one. Uh, so, okay, Lucy, right, we've got three minutes left. So I'm going to hit you with some uh, uh, some hashtag Bimfluencer questions here. Okay, <laughs> so um, fans of the podcast, returning fans of the podcast may be aware of the hashtag Bimfluencer movement that I'm starting. Movement slash cult uh, that I'm building. Um, I'm especially I'm welcoming ex-Brexiters now that Brexit is all falling to shit. Uh, you know, if you need a new cult, guys, get onto hashtag influencers. <laughs> so the questions, just to give you a like, bit of preamble, bit, bit of a warning. Uh, they are dark. Um, they're unsettling. But in that darkness, we find the light and love of commonality, of shared burden, of common hashtag relatableness. So here we go. Prepare yourself for dark, gruelling questions, the likes of which yield troubled souls and broken spirits. Are you ready, Lucy? Yes. Then I'll begin. What's your favourite colour? Black. <laughs> nice. Very good influencer. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite food? Marmite on oh. anything. Fucking gross. Okay. What song would you have played at your funeral if you were there to give a request to the DJ at that party slash celebration of your death? If you were able to request a song to play at that funeral, what song would it be? Shit, that's really hard. All I can think about is Kate Bush. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Apology rejected. Who's your best friend? (laughs) My husband. Who's your worst friend? Oh, I, I don't have any. I get rid of them. Good. Good answer. Uh, what's the most expensive thing you've ever bought for yourself? Oh, a house. What's the best thing you ever did? Quit my job and go traveling. What's the last thing you did that you really wish you hadn't? 
apply for a job that turned out to be um producing a podcast for two influencers <laughs> no <laughs> there was a whole drama about it it was terrible okay all right i won't delve any further unless, unless can, it's okay to <laughs> it's totally okay to but i just don't want to take up any more time okay um yeah uh all right fine let's move on um who would you like to play you in a movie Ooh, do you know what amber heard <laughs> shit the bed she has got some bills to pay and i feel really bad for her so yeah nice okay next question but who have you actually been told you look like oh okay so i had <laughs> very drunk in a club a long time ago, I was told that I look like Angelina Jolie by someone who probably wanted to have sex with me. And I have held on to that for dear life for the rest of my life. <laughs> I would too. Uh, I got Paul Giamatti. Oh. I don't know if you know who that is. He's... Uh, yeah. The American actor. The tone, the tone of your voice though. It's like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, you do look like him. And that's very sad, Aid. I feel sad for you. I don't you do look like him i think on a cake like in some photos i do sure i'm i think i've got one of those faces where it's sort of amiable amiable is that the right word malleable yeah friend like, uh oh i see what you mean adaptable yeah yeah okay. so in some photos i think like oh wasn't looking too bad there that day and then <laughs> other days i'm like how has anyone ever had sex with me <laughs> uh and yet yeah <laughs> you Com have the proof <laughs> i do yeah uh, my girlfriend's a, a, a fucking trooper. Um, <laughs> complete this sentence. My name is Lucy Lucraft and I cannot fucking stand. Tories. Good answer. Uh, what episode of your life would you donate to a DVD collection entitled Times I Was a Colossal Bellend? Oh, my God. Just the whole my whole 25th year. Really? Yeah. I also had quite a difficult like actually most of my 20s were quite difficult i think in retrospect did you find that once you turned 30 in your 30s that it was just infinitely better yeah 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 massively yeah, yeah. anyone that's i can't wait for 40 are you not 40 yet mm, next year next <laughs> year sorry i didn't mean that to sound like... i mean <laughs> yeah you look 40 yeah. no you don't <laughs> uh okay <laughs> when i when i say the following words what's the next word that first comes to mind okay Snooker. Ball. Ford. Car. Trampoline. <laughs> Jump. Pregnancy. Piles. Prince Andrew. Oh, perv. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> that is it. Uh, we're back next Friday night. Don't forget, you can always grab episodes first on patreon.com slash aidthompson. Uh, then they go on to Spotify and Apple Podcasts uh, three days later. Um, thanks very much to Kerry and Paul for continuing their support of the show. Uh, if it's your first time listening, I do do two podcasts a week, one solo show on a Wednesday where I usually muse about uh, American or British politics and then one Friday night show with a guest. Uh, there's also a political blog that comes out on Sunday morning and all those blogs and all the historic episodes of the podcast are up on the Funk 27 website. Thanks again to my guest tonight, the wonderful Lucy Lucraft. Go give her a follow on Twitter Instagram, TikTok, and until next time, we outie.